0: In Ariana's absence, we are honored to have Roger Butts with us this morning to speak with us. Roger is an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister who currently is at an, organize, an organizer with Coloradans for alternatives to the death penalty. A few of his prayers have been published in two books, How We Are Called and the Sources of Our Faith. He is on the board of Greenberg Center for Learning and Tolerance and on the board of the Center for Religious Diversity and Public Life at UCCS. His wife, Marta Friority, is director of ministries to children, youth, and families at the Broadmoor Community Church. Nearly everything he knows about unconditional love he learned from his black lab, Sophie. I'd <laughs> like to have you help me introduce and welcome Roger Good morning. morning. What a beautiful spirit this place has. Thank you for inviting me here. The poet Mary Oliver says to live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones as if your life depends upon it, for it does. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. I understand that this month you are exploring the idea of relationships. So this morning, I just want to tell you a few stories about relationship. A few stories related to what it is to love that which is mortal. And in order to begin, I want to ask you a simple question. I want you to picture in your mind who it is that has taught you something about love? Who taught you how to love? Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was an ex-spouse. Maybe it was a parent. Or an uncle or an aunt or a grandpa or grandma. Maybe a wise elder. Maybe it was someone with whom you have significant religious or political difference. Maybe a famous person that you never met. Can you picture someone? Do you have someone in mind who has taught you what it is to be a loving person? This month of Valentine's Day and so on, we acknowledge that perhaps everything that could be said about love has already been said. Shakespeare the Smiths, right? any number of people, writers of sacred literature. Nonetheless, the invitation is ever before us to reflect upon love, to conjure up images and stories in our own lives of moments when love came to us with the promise of renewal and transformation. So this morning I share with you some stories in the hope that it will invite you to remember stories in your own life about love so let us begin my uncle Gary this week is gonna be on Oprah I know right that's pretty cool almost 20 years ago now he wrote a book it was his third or fourth book after working with couples for years as a minister in Winston-Salem North Carolina and after all those years he noticed patterns specifically related to how we express and receive love. And so he wrote them down. Five love languages, he called it. Acts of service, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, and gifts. My friend Tricia says, if gifts is on the list, what else do you need? We have we have a language, my uncle says, that we use to show love and to receive love. Now, this is a Southern Baptist minister, conservative Southern Baptist minister. He and I have completely different ideas about how government should work, about how religion should work, about how the world works. And I love him deeply. My first story that I want to share with you is about my Uncle Gary. I grew up in about six blocks on the other side of nowhere. I grew up in Galesburg, Illinois, a small Midwestern town. And every Christmas, my family would jump into our green station wagon or our silver Buick LeSabre, whatever we had, and go to China Grove, North Carolina, to be with my grandmother, Hazel. And my father's brothers and sisters, all of my aunts and uncles on that side of the family. Small house built by my grandmother or my grandfather decades before. And we would go and it would just be so festive. Great food, both the quality and the quantity. Young cousins playing outside, counting the chickens in the yard. And after dinner, you know how these things go, right? After dinner the men would disappear and watch football and tell stories, some of which were true. And the women would gather in the kitchen and tell stories, some of which were true as well. And they'd wipe down tables and they'd dry dishes and clean dishes. And one year, maybe I was 10 years old or so, And I looked in to the kitchen after dinner, and there was my Uncle Gary drying the dishes. I thought maybe the sky would open up and the world would end, (laughs) right? Because never in my, you know, provincial little narrow life had I seen such a thing. What was going on? Maybe my aunt Carolyn was having a bad day. Maybe she was sideways somehow, and he wanted to give her a break. Or maybe he was—he hadn't written his book yet. Maybe he was, you know, working on his theory of acts of service. I don't know what was going on, but there he was. And as I reflect upon this particular epiphany, I realize that this conservative, traditional fellow taught me a lesson I never forgot about gender roles that there were no prescribed rules as I thought in my little head. He also taught me, without saying a word, about one of his love languages well before he wrote the book, Acts of Service and its Power to Communicate Affection and Loving Kindness. I have so many disagreements about God and religion with my Uncle Gary. But much greater is my appreciation for him as a gentle, loving spirit. Have you in your life encountered a love that is more important than your differences of opinion? Yes. One of my heroes is the Catholic monk, Thomas Merton. Do you all know Thomas Merton? I suspect that you do. He lived in a Kentucky monastery. He lived a very cloistered life in a little hermitage in the woods. But he was my favorite kind of monk because he he took a vow of silence and then wrote, you know, 40 books. (laughs) Guy couldn't shut up. And he was invited a lot to come and speak. And he would hang out with like beat poets and anti-war activists. I mean, he was amazing. And one day he found himself in Louisville something like the corner of 4th and Walnut or something, some busy commercial district. And he realized, as he looked at all these passersby, he realized that he had spent his whole life trying to separate himself from humanity so that he might get close to his God. You know? And he realized, looking at all those people passing by, that he in his essence, he and his humanity, is no different than those passers-by. And not only did he realize that, but he realized that in that moment, he loved each one of them. He didn't see anything particularly beautiful by societal standards in them. But he saw in each one of them the beauty of their humanity, the beauty of their individual person. And he wrote in his journal later on, Oh, how I wish I could have stopped each and every one of them and told them that I love them, that we were connected one with the other, and that they shine bright as the sun. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Isn't that a wonderful phrase? On this Valentine's Day month, and this time as we reflect upon relationships, We're invited to ask the question, in what way am I related to all of humanity? In what way am I connected to all of humanity? And in what way in this month and in this year can I tell those that I love that they shine bright as the sun? Another story. Martin Luther King, early in his struggle for civil rights, came to see the enormity of the task ahead of him. He was afraid. He felt alone. One day at midnight, he was close to giving up. The fire in his gut and his call to help to form the beloved community he envisioned pushed up against the reality of the violence that he faced and the resistance that was very real in his life. One night at the kitchen table at midnight, after a long day, he threw up his hands, deciding that he could no longer go on in this way. And in that moment, when he just threw up his hands, said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, he said he felt... All of a sudden, a divine presence, the presence of the beloved, the spirit of life, the spirit of God came to him as if in a voice saying to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You're not alone. Speak your truth. Stand up for justice. I will be with you. King resolved to continue Because he saw that though the road was long and the way was unclear, he was not alone. The fire in his gut, his passion for justice returned in that moment. Have you heard that story about King? There there was a phone call that he received. I'm going to get your wife. I'm going to get your kids. He was young. I'm going to kill them. And he was like, What am I doing? You know, he he was learned. He was at the top of his field. His father was a successful pastor. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have gone off and done just the most comfortable life imaginable. And he probably was tempted in that moment to just say, forget about it. I'm going to go to Europe and lecture. have all these people give me money to just hear me talk. But he realized in that moment that he couldn't do that. He had to continue on his path, no matter how difficult, how how unclear the future might be. So this month, why not think about the way that life invites you to keep on, despite the odds? Why not think about the way that love insists that you are not alone? That whatever it is that you're called to do, to be your full and best divine self, that you can do it, even if the way is difficult. So I was a minister in the, par- in, the par- <coughs> in the parish for 10 years. <clears throat> and in the first four years of my ministry, I had a congregant named Gladys Hitchings. I was in Davenport, Iowa. In Davenport, Iowa, people live a good, long time. Salt of the earth out there. And I knew Gladys from the time she was 101 until she was 105. At which point I buried her after a good long life. And in those four years, she came to church twice a year. When her kids came to town. Her kids were like 74, you know. <laughs> and when her kids came to town, she would come to church. And she'd always sit over in the same place. It was always a special treat when Gladys came to church. Because in the end, you know how there's a receiving line where the pastor says, you know, have a good week, see you next time, be good. (laughs) Gladys would roll up in her wheelchair and she'd come to me and she'd grab my hand and she'd pull me in and there was a little twinkle in her eye hinting at what, you know, the little flirtatious Gladys of years before. And she'd look me in the face and she'd whisper, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. She couldn't hear my sermons. She didn't know what I had published. She didn't know my plans for the church. But somewhere out of a deep sense of gratitude and grace and aliveness, deep in her bones, she looked at me and she said, I'm so glad you're here. Unconditional love. She spoke a word of affirmation and grace to me. The warmth of her smile, I will never forget. So this month, why not turn to your beloved, a friend, a spouse, a child, a parent, a pet, whatever, and say, I'm so glad you're here. This month, how can you express the warmth of your deepest, most unconditional appreciation and love for your beloved, As Vern mentioned, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm an organizer with a group that seeks to end the death penalty in Colorado. It's what I do. I'm privileged to do it. And a couple of weeks ago, on a cold Saturday morning in Denver, I sat with a group of 12 people around a the table. They all had experienced a murder in their family. Each one of them had experienced a deep loss in their family. We were in the basement of a Lutheran church. The best things in the world happen in the basement of churches, by the way. <laughs> <clears throat> and so we're sitting there, and one African-American fellow at the end of the table looks at another woman, and he says, You know, the, the, my, my niece was killed 15 years ago. Horrible, terrific, you know, horrible, horrific death. My niece was killed and I, I noticed your last name is the same last name of the guy who killed my niece. And he said, I think it was Donald or something. And she said, no, you know, I don't, I don't know any Donald. And in small groups, We all started sharing our stories and we all started telling stories about who we are and what we do in the world. And this woman whose last name was the same as this, as this killer turns out to be a play therapist. She was the funniest woman in the world and had a beautiful spirit and made all of us laugh and told great stories. And those two bonded. They were in small groups together and they began to share with each other some commonalities. Some things than common. And after lunch, he said, Oh, you know, it wasn't Donald. It was William. That's who killed my niece. And she looked at him and a look of horror came across her face. That's my cousin. My cousin killed your niece. My cousin killed your niece. Four hours they had bonded together. And they realized in that moment that their relationship that they had bonded over the sense of loss that both of them had experienced, the sense of hope that both of them had for the future, was stronger than the fact that this murder connected them. They could have been bitter enemies. Right, They could have never spoken to each other. They could have been at each other's throats. But in that moment, because they had been in relationship with each other, they just stood up and hugged each other. And both of them said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And the man whose niece was brutally murdered said, to the group, I just feel like this is an act of God. I just feel like this is something, some kind of grace that is unimaginable. In this month, as you reflect on relationships, I implore you, I urge you to always, always imagine that relationship is possible. No matter the circumstances, reconciliation, Restoration is possible. Always hold out hope for the power of relationship. My last story for you. I didn't know these people. But it's from the Desert Fathers tradition and the Christian tradition. One day, Abbot Lot came to his teacher, Abbot Joseph, and said, look, Here's the deal. I fast. I say my prayers. I keep the rule. You know, they're monks, right? They're monks. They're doing the best they can out in the desert. I keep my silent contemplation and I strive to be void of all unnecessary distractions. But it's not enough. What more shall I do? Have you heard this story? At this, Abbot Joseph looks at his pupil and he stretches his hands out like this towards the heaven. And all of a sudden, his fingertips all turn to fire. Why not, he says, why not totally turn to fire? This Valentine's Day, remind yourself of your great passion and ask yourself, what brings me to life? How can I totally turn to fire? Thanks.